Hey, it's so good to be with you. I know I'm not actually with you. I'm in here in my office alone in the church building, uh, which is one of the things we miss out when we're not face-to-face with each other, is it's, it's easier to really misunderstand somebody if you don't see all their body language and see all their facial expressions and you know all the inflections and everything. But even, even when you are face-to-face, you can still misunderstand. I know that happens with my wife. She'll look at me and say, hey, do you remember when he went to that place the other day? And I'm like, who, who? What place are you talking about? Now, in her mind, it was perfectly clear, but I don't have a clue, and I can't be the only one that goes through that, right? That's why I prefer things in writing, because it makes things clearer. Yet, I'm finding with, with texts <laughs> that it's not as clear as I thought. Uh, I find texts being misunderstood all the time. Uh, do you do that too? And, and I don't have any personal examples to show you, but I do have... Some examples I found online I, I like, for example, this person put this on the screen so you can see. It says, pasta? And the person writes back, is that a question? Am I pasta? Do I enjoy pasta? What is pasta? See, it's way too vague. Or how about this one? Guy writes, dude, what is your street name? And he responds, Lil Marco. He says, you live on a street called Lil Marco? And he goes, oh, you meant my street address. You might have to think on that for a moment, but that's funny. Or the classic mom text to her daughter. She writes, what does IDK, LY, and TTYL mean? Daughter says, I don't know, love you, talk to you later. Mom says, okay, I'll ask your sister. Uh, Maybe that that hits close to home for you too. Or one, one more, a guy gets an anonymous text that says, I'm here for you. And he replies, thanks, I'm going through a tough time, so it means a lot. And sorry, I lost all my contacts. Who is this? And he replies, this is your Uber driver. I'm here to pick you up. So today we're going to talk about how to avoid some misunderstandings. We'll talk about how to understand the Bible. And if you're new with us, it's your first time, really glad you're joining us for this series called Key Principles. It's about these essentials for living the Christian life, for Christian living. And I know you may not be a Christian, but I want to encourage you to keep dropping in, keep listening, because I think as you open yourself up to these new ways of thinking and behaving, you're going to see that it improves your life. Because listen, the Bible did not get to be the most uh, translated, most distributed, best-selling, most influential book of all time for nothing. It has changed millions of lives, and it really ought to be on everybody's bucket list to read through the Bible at least once in their life. But of course, for us believers, we want to be able to read it over and over and over because it's God speaking into our lives right where we are. And every time we read it, we're going to learn more and we're going to grow more because you're not the same person you were the last time you read it. So Christians, we are a people of the book. Do you have a Bible? If not, get one. Buy one. Borrow one. Ask for one. We'll give you it. For, we'll give you one free. In fact, last week we told you about all these free ways to read the Bible online, to download an app like YouVersion, or to go on a site like BibleGateway.com. They'll even read the Bible to you. So start a habit of Bible reading this week. Because look, look at it. These are all books about the Bible. I've spent my lifetime studying the Bible. And that's important because God says to us, and I want you to say this out loud with me right now at home. Everybody, we're going to do the big idea today, which comes from 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. All right, so that's on you and me to make sure we're handling God's word correctly. He does not want to be misunderstood or misrepresented 
by our flawed and faulty ways of thinking, our views. He, he gave it to us so that we would understand who He is, what His will is, what His plans are. That's the purpose of the Bible. And He wrote it down for us. He made sure it was in writing so that we could all have equal access to it. No matter where we are or when we live, we have an objective source of truth directly from God for all time. So let's ask some questions about the Bible and start with this one. What is it? What is the Bible? Well, first we understand it's a library of books. Now, this is basic information for a lot of you, but hang with me here. It's, it's not just one book. I know the Bible means the book, but it's 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by at least 40 different authors. Later on, chapters and verses were added to make it easier to look up references. It's the holy book. That means it's from God. It's the one and only holy book. It's the scriptures, the good book, the book of books, because it is the word of God. And it's the sacred writings from God that protect us from idolatry and false teachings. Because we can't know anything about God unless he chooses to reveal it to us. And these sacred writings are going to guard me from my own fleeting feelings and relativistic values and culturally uh, influenced faddish ideas. Yes, God uses human authors, and, and he but He inspires them and He guides them. So what they write is actual truth from cover to cover, without error. And, and all the other so-called holy books are not revelations from God. They're just thoughts about God. They're human speculations and opinions and philosophies, uh, and. Uh, imaginings about God. Only the Bible is words from God to us. Absolute truth without error. That's why Paul the Apostle wrote to the Thessalonians and said, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you know, us inspired apostles and prophets, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. So look, it's inconsistent to sit in judgment on God's Word and pick and choose what parts of it you think are holy and sacred and, and true and good and which parts aren't. Because that becomes that's a slippery slope that's going to undermine your faith. If you can, if you can say, well, I, I believe that part, but I don't believe that part. Or, I like that part and I don't like that part. Because that, look, you, you can completely throw out the whole Bible if you get to choose what you believe about it. Look, when you have a difference of opinion with the Bible, guess who's wrong? <laughs> Look, we don't have the option to change the Bible, to add to it, or to take away from it. Either we believe it all or we reject it all. There's no in-between on that. Inspiration means God's Word is our only authority. It is our final authority for what we believe and practice, and that's why one of the key things we do at South Point every week is we look at Scripture and see how it applies to our lives. Because God wants us to know it's not some mysterious code that we've got to unlock. We, we, we read it and study it to understand it because it's a living book. When you pick up a book by some other author, that author is not with you. But the Bible, you got the author right there with you as you're reading it, and it's really the only book where the author loves the reader. I love what Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and it's active. That means it's living. It's unique. It's supernatural. That's incredible because it's as relevant for us today as it was for those to whom it was first written, the first readers. 
And some of you, you know, if you have read the Bible, I'm sure it has gotten you through times of hurting and uh, it's brought you hope. It's brought you healing to, to deal with whatever you're going through. And I, you can't treat it like it's just a book of inspirational sayings and feel good spirituality and motivational means. Because this is God speaking into our lives with truth and wisdom. And we need it to, to deal with the big questions of life as well as the everyday issues of living. It shows us the right way to live. And best of all, it shows us how to get eternal life. So the Bible is going to keep you from wasting years of your life on things that don't matter and that aren't real and that will not last. It brings healing to your soul, deals with all your kind of, it helps you deal with your past, with whatever present problems you're going through, helps you to look forward to the future, the, what's ahead, gives you strength to face whatever you're going through when, when life is falling apart. Now, let, again, the Bible is all inspired of God, but that doesn't mean it's all inspiring, right? For the modern reader, let's be honest here, there are parts of the Bible that can become a little boring and tedious because it's filled with lists and genealogies and rules and, and ceremonies that don't seem applicable to us today. We recognize, look, every word of the Bible comes from God and serves a purpose, but not every word is equally relevant to us today because that leads to another important question. How is the Bible arranged? All right, well, we, we already said it's 66 books, but understand it's also divided into two major segments. It's divided into the Old and the New Testaments. The Old Testament is the first 39 books, and the New Testament are the last 27 books. And it's crucial, crucial to understand the difference between the Old and the New Testaments because the Old Testament those are the Hebrew scriptures, which are written primarily to uh, God's people in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the chosen people. And so it's really about God's covenant or testament with the people before Christ. It's really the B.C. Bible before Christ. But the New Testament, those are the Christian scriptures, which are primarily directed to the church, people who have lived since the time of Christ. So it's our A.D. Bible. A.D. means Anno Domini, Latin, which means in the year of our Lord. It's for us today. And so that's why we call the, the Hebrew Scriptures the Old Testament, not just because they're older in time, but because the New Testament comes along. God gives us a New Testament that fulfills the Old and makes it the former covenant. He gives us a new covenant, a better covenant, through His Son. And that means we're no longer obligated to obey all those rules and ceremonies under the law of Moses in the Old Testament. So when people try to, to point out, oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites because you don't follow all the Bible, you don't do all those laws and rules like it says to do, they're showing a fundamental misunderstanding of the difference between the Old and the New Testament. Another thing to understand, and this is so key, is yes, it's full of great stories, but the Bible isn't laid out chronologically, but by types of literature. We don't have to start at the beginning of the Bible and read through to the end, you know, beginning to cover to cover like it's a novel, because it's not laid out that way. It's laid out by types or styles of writing. Jesus referred to three different categories of writings in the Old Testament. He says in Luke 24, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me, here it is, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So here we go, let's break it down. 
First, you have the, the law. You have the five books of the law written by Moses. And that takes us from the very beginning through God calling the Hebrew people, the Jewish nation, to be the Israelites. He gives them the, the commandments, the law, takes them up to the, the promised land. And uh, that, that's also called the five books of the law, or the Torah, or books of instruction and doctrine. Then you have the category of the prophets, which are the last books of the Old Testament, written by teachers like Isaiah and Hosea and others who spoke to the people of their time, what they were going through, but also sometimes would refer to the future. But then there are also some other writings that they would call the former prophets, which are really history books that talk about God's dealing with Israel through judges and kings, books like Joshua and 1st and 2nd Samuel. Those former prophets would be uh, distinct from the latter prophets, the, the books at the end of the Old Testament. Then finally, there are the Psalms, which are the books of poetry and songs and wisdom, other books like Proverbs and Job. So to make it a little bit clearer for us today, I think it's helpful to break the Old Testament down into four categories. First, there's the law, then there's the history books, then the poetic books, then the prophetic books. Similarly, when you go to the New Testament, it too can be broken down into four categories. First, you've got the Gospels, then you have the history, then the letters, and finally, the prophecy books. And there's only one prophecy book. So first you got the Gospels, okay, the four biographies of Jesus. Gospel means the good news about Jesus, written by his eyewitness disciples like Matthew and John, or close associates to the disciples like Mark and Luke. Then you have the one book of history, the book of Acts, which tells of the time when Jesus ascended into heaven through the birth of the church, what the early Christians did, Paul's missionary journeys. Then you get into the books of the letters, sometimes called the epistles, that's the Greek word for letters written to Christians and to churches full of doctrine and instruction written by Peter and Paul and John. And then finally, the book of prophecy, which is Revelation, uh, which is, is written about the end times. It's full of figurative language, which makes it very easy for people to get really into the symbolic nature and speculate about what it all means and try and tell you they've got it all figured out. They don't. Don't get pulled into a lot of the, the fantastical interpretations of Revelation because those people are always wrong. Here's the basic message is Jesus is coming back. We win. Until then, remain faithful through whatever sufferings and persecution you have to endure. Now that leads us to another major question, is how literally should I take the Bible? And that question can't really be answered with a quick yes or no soundbite. Because if you answer, yes, I take it all literally, you're gonna be labeled a fundamentalist nut. And if you say, I don't take it literally, you'll be branded a liberal heretic. Here's the deal, the Bible is literally true, but every word isn't meant to be taken literally. Nobody reads every word in the Bible literally. Why? Because that's just not the way language works. The Bible's like any other book in the sense that there's different kinds of language. There's metaphor and simile and irony and poetry and hyperbole. Hyperbole, those are all found throughout the Bible. And so we take it that way. It's just like when somebody says, hey, it's raining cats and dogs. We don't literally think pets are falling out of the sky, right? Or when we say the sun is rising, we don't think it literally is rising. Or when a sports reporter will say the Tigers devoured the Cardinals, we don't think, oh, I wonder if that's literal. I mean, we might wonder if it's true, like, yeah, the Tigers really beat the Cardinals, come on. Or when the Bible says the trees clap their hands, or Jesus says, I'm the door, or I'm the bread of life, we don't take that literally. It's not meant to be taken literally. Perfect example is when Nicodemus 
approaches Jesus. And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus takes it literally. He says, how can a person go back into their mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus says, no, no. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth here. So when somebody's asking, how literally should I take the Bible? What they really mean is, is the Bible full of made-up stories? So how do we determine when something is, is literal or, or not? And the answer is, you take the Bible with the meaning the writer intended. Just like any other piece of literature, you read it the way the author intended. And that's typically in a very plain, straightforward, matter-of-fact, face-value kind of way. Unless it's obvious they don't mean it in that way. So, yeah, we believe the Bible says what it means and means what it says. And, yeah, that, that means there are supernatural miracles throughout the Bible. They seem unbelievable to us. But, look, if you, if you believe there's a God, then miracles are no problem. We don't just write them off. We believe it because uh, there's a God who's able to do those things. And, look, I know there are all kinds of different interpretations of Scripture, but not all interpretations are equally valid. They all can't be true. God has given us one intended meaning when he writes to us, and it's up to us to discover it through sound principles of interpretation, not just say, well, it doesn't really matter. Your opinion is as good as mine, because that turns the Bible into a meaningless joke. It means something, what God wants it to mean. So here's, a, here's another principle, is let Scripture interpret Scripture. When you come across something that's not quite clear, go to some other verses and passages in the Bible that are clear, and let those be the, the, the best commentary on what you're reading. Because here's what we do, is we will tend to try and write off parts of the Bible by saying, well, uh, I don't believe that part. Why? Well... It's not because it's not clear, it's because it's controversial, because it's uncomfortable, it's politically incorrect, maybe even it's offensive. And if I can discredit the Bible on any one point like that and say, well, that, that's, not what, uh, that's not really part of the Bible, that part's not true, that part was made up, well, then you can discredit the whole thing. It's up to us. We've got to choose whether to believe it all or to reject it all. You can't, you can't add to, take away, or change the Bible. The problem is that you don't understand the Bible. It's not that the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible doesn't contradict history, doesn't contradict science. Here's what it contradicts. It contradicts you. It's the parts I don't want to do that, that I have trouble believing. So here's the thing. As you read to understand it, you ask questions. You say, look, is there a principle I need to learn? Is there a truth I need to believe? Is there a sin I need to confess? Is there a behavior I need to change? Is there a promise I need to claim? Study God's Word. Study it to let it transform your life, to renew your thinking, to shape your decisions. Let it become the grid through which you see reality, give you a biblical worldview, the filter through which you make decisions. Because look, if you want to change the way you live, you got to change the way you think. And to change the way you think, you got to change what you think about. All right, so what are you filling your mind with? Are you filling it with God's Word? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who correctly handles the Word of truth. And maybe you don't understand the Bible very well right now. That's okay. You will. The more you read it and study it, the more you'll understand, the more God will begin to speak. Because again, this this is not a mystical thing. This, this, it is a supernatural thing. 
God is speaking to you through it. And as His Spirit works more in your life, He begins to open your mind, open your eyes, open your heart to understand it more and more. It begins to make more and more sense as He teaches you, guides you, enlightens you. And maybe you're somebody right now, you're at the point where you want to know more about the Bible and you're like this Ethiopian official we read about in the book of Acts, chapter 8. He's traveling down the road in a chariot, reading in the Bible this passage from the book of Isaiah. And God sends a man named Philip up beside the chariot. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, well, no, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And so it says Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and tells him about Jesus. It was a prophecy about the promised Messiah. That's the whole point of the Bible. It's meant to lead you to Jesus. It's his story. And so God wants you to understand it. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Read it for yourself and let God speak to you through it. Because here's the basic message of the whole Bible. There is a God. He made you. He loves you. He made you to be like Him, so He expects obedience from you because He's holy and, and warns us against sin and the coming judgment. But because we failed in that, we have brought condemnation on ourselves, And so God enters into this world to become our sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And He conquers death through rising from the dead because He wants to forgive us and give us eternal life. And best of all, the Bible tells us how to receive forgiveness and eternal life by putting our trust in Jesus as Savior, repenting of our sins, being baptized into Christ. Because you know what that Ethiopian says? After Philip tells him about Jesus, he says, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And I hope that's how you treat Scripture. Whenever you read something, you say, yeah, that's what I want to do. Let's go. And maybe for you, it's, it's to be baptized. It's to give your life to Christ. And if it is, I want you to contact us. We'd love to help you with that. Text this number to us, uh, 734-304-7248, or email next at southpointccc.com, and we will get back to you, and we'll answer your questions. We'll help you with your next step. We'll pray with you. We'll help you to, to get baptized right where you are. You don't have to come to a church building to get baptized. We'll show you how to do it right there in your own bathtub at home or in your swimming pool or out at the lake. All right, so next week, we're going to continue on. Mark and I are going to bring a message for Mother's Day weekend called How to Experience Grace and Love. And you're not going to miss that. Would you invite other people, share those posts, send them texts, make sure they're very clear though, and call them up, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we reaffirm our faith in your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us and, and revealing what's right and what's true, uh, for revealing your plans for us. So God, open our minds, our hearts, our eyes. Give us faith to take you at your word, to understand it, to live it, and help us to see what it is you're calling us to, to change and do. In Jesus' name, amen.